morning, everyone. I am Preston Pitts, an elder here at Common Ground, and extremely excited about being with you this morning, where not only are we going to open God's Word together, we're going to continue our study of the Apostles' Creed. And uh, so Derek uh, got us started in that last week, but before we get started, I'm going to share two things with you that I read just recently. And the first is that I read a quote by Martin Luther. And Martin Luther is, um, he's, a, he's a German, famous German theologian, and he was a leader of the, the Protestant Reformation. And he lived in the late 1400s and the early 1500s. And his quote was this, one of his greatest pleasures was that every day with his family, he would go through th three things with them. The Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, and the Apostles' Creed. And I like that because Derek taught last time about how important the Apostles' Creed has been through church history. And this just seemed to reconfirm to me that even a leader of his stature, the importance he placed on that. The second thing that I read was I was reading about Michelangelo's famous uh, statue that he, sculpture I should say, David. And this is probably one of the most world recognized uh, sculptures in the, in the world. And uh, what you, when, if you go to look at it, you're gonna go to Florence, Italy, you're gonna go in the museum and you're gonna see where it's displayed and you're gonna go, yuck. <laughs> you're gonna say, what is this? Why do I say that? Because the head and the upper torso are out of proportion to the rest of the body. And you're like, what? Is Michelangelo overrated? Is the sculpture overrated? But then when you dig deeper, you find out that this sculpture was meant to be displayed on the roof of the uh, Florence Cathedral. So when you're uh, down on the ground looking up, with that perspective, you see it's perfectly proportioned. And actually, it just accentuates Michelangelo's genius. But when you look at it in the museum where it's displayed, with that perspective, it looks distorted. I say that to say this to us. Perspective matters. And we, it's our hope today, we have the right perspective and we see how critical it is to have a right perspective of God and our faith because they all, they both impact the way we respond and the way we live our lives. And so with that, let's get into the creed. And with the creed, Derek, last time, he took the enormously big section, I believe. And uh, he took, I believe. And, and then he went into the history of the creed. He went into the depth and the, and the value of the creed. And so I want to, but I do want to bring a couple of things forward that he talked about. And the first is that he talked about what the uh, purposes of the creed are. And there are three purposes that he outlined. Call them the three C's. First is confession. That only a true Jesus follower 
could confess the creed as true. Second, clarity. The Apostles' Creed gives us clarity about what the Bible says about the fundamental of our faith. And third is complete. That true faith means that we accept all the teachings in the Bible about God. So the creed helps us in all those three aspects. The other thing that Derek talked about that I like really well is he talked about the creed helps us get firmly rooted in our faith. And I loved his example when he pulled up the, the unrooted bush and there was nothing there. And so that we'll find how important it is to be deeply rooted in understanding of our faith and our beliefs. Because the world, as Derek mentioned, continues to throw out narratives to us, trying to confuse us and lead us astray. So with that, let's go to the creed. And I don't know if, how many of you have your little bookmarks, but I love mine and I kept mine. But um, so Derek said, talked about I believe. Today we're going to talk a little bit about what we believe in. And so first line right under the heading is, I believe. <laughs> and I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of hell, nope, creator of heaven and earth. I learned at first maker and then I went to creator, <laughs> creator of heaven and earth. And uh, so we're going to go through all aspects of that. So I want to emphasize this point. One, when you say it, this part, say it in its entirety. The depth of it and the beauty of it comes through. However, today I'm going to take it in segments just to drill down and help us understand and appreciate each aspect of what this phrase is saying. So to get us started also, we're going to go to our anchor verse, which is Romans 8, verses 4. Um, 14 through 16. I'm presuming that is up there. And so I'll read it though. Sorry. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself hears, bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And when we say this, I just feel the might and the power of God to us who believe. I feel the, the depth of God's desire for us to have a personal and intimate relationship with him. And, and so from that verses emerge the big idea for me. And that is God is Father, intensely personal, loving, and infinitely powerful. So we're going to weave that theme throughout as we go through the discussion today. So let's get to the very first part. I believe in God. And when we profess our belief in God, we are saying that we trust God fully. 
we say our confidence is in God. Now, when, we, when we're professing our belief, it's not just that God exists. We're professing a really an anchoring of ourselves to God and being secure in doing so. And this confidence was confirmed for us when God publicly demonstrated his infinite power and his intense love for us when Jesus went to the cross. So that is our God. He intensely loves us and willing to great, make great sacrifice for us. And the God that we are talking about today is the God of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So when we profess God, we're professing that he is the God throughout the entirety of the Bible. And so I'll share another with you, another verse. It's in Exodus. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love always faith and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for those read it out loud transgressions and, sorry but there's a light in the middle and I couldn't see it <laughs> I apologize um, but now I ask you because we talk perception what perception does that create for you in your mind about who God is for me it talks about, again, his desire, his love for us, his patience for us, his loving kindness toward us, and that he desires to forgive us of our sins and be reconciled to him. Now, this is the Old Testament, and that's why I'm emphasizing this. This is the description of God in the Old Testament, and when you really look at God's acts throughout the Bible, and then you look at other ways that God is described, this description of God is consistent. And even if you look at our verse today in the New Testament, in Romans 8, 14 through 16, we see a loving, caring God desiring either for us to even to be able to call him Father and for us to be considered a child of God. This is our God. And I wanted to reaffirm that perspective of him because there are many that mischaracterize the God of the Old Testament. And I want to make sure we understand the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament are the same. So when we go continue, and, and our purpose here right now is understanding God. And so another really important aspect of understanding of our God is a very deep thing. And what's that? Did it go? It's going around the rooms. Oh my golly, it's coming to. I know what it is. It's that rabbit that comes out when he's concerned. I'm going to lead us down a rabbit hole. <laughs> but I'm telling you, that will not happen. Just be confident. And because this is a little complicated what we're going to talk about. However, 
The beauty of it is we will understand the enormity, have a better appreciation for the enormity and, the, and, and the, the, just the magnitude of our God when we get through. So this next comment is our God is the triune God. One God and three, pers three eternal persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, this aspect of God distinguishes him clearly from the other religions, and we're going to talk about that. <clears throat> but also, I want to emphasize to you that the creed, when you look at how it's laid out, it flows through the entirety of the Trinity. And so, I encourage you to come back every week and, do, and listen for that. Um, but when we're talking triune God, again, it is our God is the one and only God, and he exists as the Trinity. So when we go deeper with this, there are narratives out there in the world that try to confuse us on that topic. And one of them that's quite interesting is the belief that the God of Islam, the Hebrew God, and our God are one and the same. And there, there's people out there that are promoting that. And, the, and this is pun intended. The genesis of that is Abraham. All are traced back to Abraham. But when you look into each religion, we'll see the differences. Islam, very high level. Islam believes that Abraham is the father but they also believe that the promised descendants come through Ishmael, not Isaac. They believe that Jesus is a prophet, not God. And if you talk about the Trinity, it's blasphemy. So we can talk about all the religious differences, the beliefs, but that's not the point. The point is their God and our God are not the same. The second one is a little more tricky. The Hebrew God. The Hebrew God is the first person of the Trinity, God the Father. However, when you look in the Gospels, you will, and in particular the book of John, you will see that Jesus clearly demonstrates to the religious leaders and others that believing in one-third of the Trinity is not believing in the one true and only God. And so they failed to recognize Jesus as Messiah. They failed to recognize that he is deity. So they failed to recognize the Trinity. The bottom line again is their God and our God are not the same. So the narrative that's going on out there is you guys all have the same religion. Get together. Resolve your differences. Did I, what did I say? Did, you all have the same God. Did I say that? All have the same God. Resolve your differences. Reconcile. Make compromises. And work it out because they want us to coexist. Anybody ever seen the bumper stickers? There are a lot of them. And that's the purpose. They think... It's a really nice goal they have. 
through that, we won't argue, we won't be bitter, we won't have battles and wars and, and disagreements, and it'll bring closer, us closer to world peace. However, at what price? And for us, it would mean that we would compromise our belief in the one true God. And it would mean that we would just be effectively worshiping an idol. And so, for me, you go back to the intensity of this. And that is that God is, we, we believe in the one and only true God. And only eternal life comes through our God. And if you look at 1 John 5.13, it talks about that. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. 1 John 5.13. So eternal life comes through our belief in Jesus. And so... Now, I want to make sure you understand, I am in no way saying we should be unkind, unloving, uncivil to any of those that believe in, 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 with, that are Muslims or, or Jews. In fact, I'm kind of saying somewhat the opposite, because when we understand this, we can be confident in defending our faith if we have to in a loving way, but more, it's as important gives us the ability to witness to Muslims and Jews. And right now, my understanding, there's a growing number of Muslims and Jews that are accepting Christ as Lord and Savior through the teaching of the gospel. So there's a wonderful thing that can happen when we understand this truth about our God. So as we continue with this understanding of our God, I'm going to, we're going to share, I'm going to share the, some of the beliefs and, and, and nature about our God. And we're going to put them up, and I don't, we don't have time to discuss them, but I'd just like you to take a moment to meditate on them, absorb them. Again, they speak to the enormity of our God, and to, to better help us understand this is our God, and we have much more confidence in Him. So... He is all-powerful, all-knowing, eternal, meaning the self-existing one. He's unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's present everywhere. I'm always with you, Jesus says, and he is. He's holy. He's love. He's not just full of love. His essence is love. He's faithful, righteous, and just. Now, I want to point out one aspect of those characteristics of God in the last one, which is righteous and just. So even though our God is intensely personal and loving and desires for none to perish, our God will deal with sin. And that is not a popular, ter popular thing to say. In particular, my understanding, some churches try to avoid it, and our culture gets put off by it because there's judgment. 
But the truth of the matter is, those that have not professed a belief in Jesus, there will be a day of judgment. And upon that day of judgment, they will be cast out of God's presence into hell. I think I said lake of fire. And uh, so I just want to reiterate that because as we're closing our comments about God, I want to be balanced in what we're saying. Filled with love, magnificence, however, he is just and righteous at the same time. So with that, we're going to move on to creator. God, creator of heaven and earth. And yes, I skipped father almighty because I want to finish with it. Uh, just, I just love to talk about Father Almighty, so I just wanted to finish with it. So when we talk about God as creator of heaven and earth, let's go right to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. And can't say it any clearer. In the beginning, God. And I'm going to say that one again. In the beginning, God. There was nothing but God until God appeared on the scene. Who created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So we see, and I added this part. Because that's just verse 1 and 2. I realize I'm going to have to strengthen my eyes to do this more often. But I did, I said effectively that after that, God, the Holy Spirit began to work. The creative power of God was unleashed. And it led us to verse 31. And in 31, Jesus, God says, and it was very good. So he finished his creation, and there was, and, it, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So we see God's loving nature, his personal nature, creating our world in particular to make it a place for enjoyment, a place that fulfills us, a place that we can contribute to. Now, what I did leave out was God also created us, humans. In verse 27, he says it this way. Sorry. Anyway, I can paraphrase. He made us in, God made us in his image. In the image of God, man was made. But in the image of God, he made us male and female. Clearly in the Bible. And so when we think about this, his time to, to create us into his image. And when, I, when we say image, to me, it means that God instilled in us characteristics that relate to intellect, mor morality, and spiritual. All with the intent 
that we could relate to God in a most personal and intimate way. So we were made in his image. And I compel us to live a life remembering that, to bring him honor and to bring him glory. And I'm always remembering Alex several months ago taught about this, and he said, remember also that other people are made in God's image. Treat them with dignity. I don't know why that's stuck with me. And there are a few people I have trouble doing that with, but <laughs> I remember the, that words, and I, I'm successful in doing it. And so for us, um, as we are recognizing God's creation, and, we, and, you, and we, we will see in it as we later how personally he took, he, in the intimacy he took with that. However, I want to make this comment. If we confess God as creator of heaven and earth, we need to put away any thought about any of this happening by chance. And so that is something that we just need to dismiss if we're going to profess God as creator of heaven and earth. And so with that, let's go down to heaven and earth a little bit and talk about that because there, that's, you know, that is just so important to me that we still appreciate the world that we live in and our creation. And so I say there's a, this was a little quote from Henry Blackaby that I stole. If you can put that up there. The, Nature daily testifies to God's greatness and infinite power. The beauty of God's creation is compelling, universal. I so apologize that I am having trouble reading today. Um, somebody read it out loud. Help me out. Thank you very much. So I say that because it just, it really brings to essence the personal God, the caring of God, and, and that, that it speaks to us, the universe does. And it's best said in Psalm 19, verses 1 through 4. And the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his, <laughs> help me out boys and girls. <laughs> How beautiful that is. Thank you for helping me. In fact, that was much better. Uh, so I'm going to close this section with this comment. And that is that when we take all that in we just read, we as Christians are especially privileged to realize we have a relationship with the one that did it all. Because our focus is on the creator and not the creation. 
And we seek knowledge from God and not from man. So with that, we're going to go to God the Father Almighty. So when we go into God the Father Almighty, when we go into God the Father Almighty, sorry, what we do is we are, I'm going I'm to start out with a, a kind of a, a comment that's an attention getter. And that is that we're not born children of God. In fact, we are born in opposition to God. And in Ephesians 2.13, it says that we are, in fact, children of wrath. And so that's how we start out. But because of Jesus, his atoning sacrifice for us, when we place our faith in him, we're led to become children of God. And one of the, the uh, uh, wonderment of this as we go into this section is, and I'll start out with it, is that it is Jesus that is inviting us into the relationship to call God Father. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he referred to God as Father. And then he invites us now, which once we've accepted him as Lord and Savior, we're a child of God, he accepts us to begin to learn that intimacy that he has with the Father. And he taught his disciples to pray in Matthew 6, 9, our Father. And so from that, we begin to understand he's calling us into the inner circle that he has with God and saying, welcome, come in, be a part of this because I want to teach you how to do this. And so we find what a honoring it is for us to be drawn into that relationship. So we're going to go into our anchor verse for a second because it speaks more about this. And I'll read it again. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, when I got into this verse, I really picked up something I hadn't, I hadn't noticed before. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So it's not really a condition, but what is happening? The Holy Spirit, once we're saved, begins to work a mighty work in us. To be drawn into this relationship that we have been received with Christ, our acceptance of Christ but we don't necessarily appreciate it. That's kind of what I get out of these verses. The Holy Spirit is really drawing us into understanding of what it means to be in relation with God the Father so much that you can call him Abba Father. And also, the Holy Spirit wants us to understand that we've been adopted into the family of God. So that's why I think here is a, in common ground, 
we talk a lot about abiding. So part of our life to, to really appreciate all that Christ has done for us is through the abiding relationship so that we gain understanding. And that's what the Holy Spirit wants us to do is to understand what we have and the might of it, the wonderment of it, the excitement of it, the benefit we get out of it, receive it, and he wants to help us. And the way the scripture is worded is that at the, very, at the last, it's almost like God knows we're going to continue to forget this. And so it says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. After he said these letters to it, the Spirit will continue to bear witness to us who we are. So that continuous abiding relationship will remind us of it because we don't want to forget about it. When we talk about abundant life, this is a part of it. The intimacy with God and calling him Abba Father and knowing we're adopted and what that means is so important to all of us. And so that's a big part of what we're talking about with God the Father. He wants us to understand it, appreciate it, and receive it, and live it out. Um, so I'll take a second and talk about Abba Father for a second. When you hear that term, Abba Father, it's really saying God is, wants an intimate, personal relationship that is so deep and so meaningful that we just naturally call him Father. It's filled with love and care and concern, but it also helps and reminds us to reflect that we, like children, should put our trust and our confidence in God as Father. And so, wow, what a wonderful thing this is, that we're being led into that relationship. And the other thing, by the grace of God, we understand that we've been adopted into the family of God. And I didn't include this part of the verse, but if you keep reading, verse 17, it says we're heirs and co-heirs with Christ. And that means we're, we've been adopted into the family. And so with that adoption, Jesus is right there with us because it says we're heirs with God, but we're co-heirs with Christ. So we're, we're completely accepted into the family of God. And in doing so, it gives us the ability to profess that God is our Father. And when we do so, we're really professing. It's not a theological thing. We are professing that we have an intimate, deliberate relationship with God the Father, and our life is united with His. And what a wonderful thing to profess that we, that we can profess in that. I close with, not close, but I moved, I separated these two, God, Father Almighty. So our God, our Father, is not mighty. He's almighty. And when I was trying to figure out how to best say that, and I went back to God's original name, Yahweh. And when you look at Yahweh, you see God says, I am who I am, and I will be who I will be. 
basically professing he is almighty. There is no force that can stand against him being who he is. There's no force that can stop him from accomplishing his will. And part of his desire in this, his will is, and who he is, he is recognize, he's letting us recognize he's father. His will is we become children of God and have an intimate relationship with him. Nothing should hinder us from that happening in our life. So as I close, I'm gonna, I wanted to quote um, Psalm 29.2. And that is one of my favorite verses that I never forget. <laughs> Man, I'm going to get a C today. <laughs> uh, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. I just thought that was a good way to summarize what we, what we are uh, all about and what this message was about. So as I close, I'm going to ask you to consider th doing three things. One is that, um, that you really ask God to help you understand that you meditate on God's creation. And in doing so, you begin to appreciate how loving our God is, how infinitely powerful our God is, and that you get led to a point where you're actually praising and worshiping him for all that he has done for us and including us in it. The second thing I would ask you to do is ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to a deeper understanding of what it means that God is Abba Father and that we've been adopted. And then the last thing is, we're gonna say the creed together. And I would ask you to continue saying the creed by yourself. So let us close with a reading of the creed. And all of us together. Even God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, who suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the grave. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you have such great revelations for us about who you are, how intimate you are with us, how much you care for us, and that, um, that Lord, that we realize that we need to cooperate with you to appreciate all that Jesus has accomplished for us. 
Let us be drawn into a life that is filled with the abundant life. And that life is filled with your peace, your joy, the intimacy of the relationship with you. I pray, Father, that as we leave here, we take these things into our heart. I pray, Father, you equip us to be great witnesses on your behalf. I pray, Father, that you help us stand firm no matter what we do out in the world. And I thank you, Lord, for your, your just mercy and grace over all of us. And that you would just, Lord, would continue to unite us together as brothers and sisters in Christ because we have been adopted into your family. And in your name, Jesus, amen.